Hello and welcome to 20 Minutes With, a podcast brought to you by Proximo. My name is Jack Collier. I'm a researcher and journalist at Proximo. Twice a month, we interview industry experts about the key topics across project finance and energy infrastructure. This week, I'm talking to Andrew Doyle, Executive Director for Power and Renewables at MUFG, about the state of hydrogen project financings in Europe, including opportunities and hurdles to bankability. Andrew, would you kindly give our audience a brief overview of yourself and what you do at MUFG? So I'm Andrew Doyle. Um, I'm a director in the project finance team at MUFG. I've been looking at project finance for probably about 20 years, um, primarily in power and renewables. But over the last two, three years or so, we've been looking at energy transition in, in quite a big way as we seek to find new opportunities for uh, new sectors for project finance. We see hydrogen as being obviously you know, potentially a massive sector for us and one that we've been positioning ourselves for um, to, to, to support our clients and drive the market towards a bankable project finance market. Thank you, Andrew. And so to kick things off, what's MUFG's involvement in this space? MUFG has been looking at hydrogen seriously probably for the last three years or so. Uh, when, I, when I first started looking at hydrogen, I thought that we would probably be waiting you know, a few more years until we started to see live opportunities in, in this space. But actually, the, the, the net zero carbon targets has really accelerated people's th- thinking around hydrogen, and we're starting to now see um, you know, live opportunities, and we are um, bidding on advisory mandates and we are our credit approved on a very large uh, Saudi transaction in the green ammonia space um, and we have you know supported hydrogen projects um, in the US as well so uh, a hydrogen fueling station business where MUFG lent and also contributed equity to that project and again that was to to ensure that you know we understand the hydrogen market and we understand the the, the kind of the, the specific dynamics to hydrogen as as a new sector um, so we are seeing a lot of opportunities um, at the moment they do seem to be concentrated in the Middle East and, and Africa they are I think looking to probably have production that then feeds into uh, European demand and I think they're trying to make you know steal a march on you know producers in other locations so by you know starting now and getting their position now they become become a leader in supplying hydrogen into europe and, and start those uh, relationships and, and and contracts i think what we'll see is in the say the uk with the development of the hydrogen business model it, it's still a a small um allocation round in the first instance i think it's only about 250 megawatts that's being procured in the first year but actually they've got plans that will quickly ramp up so i think it's a two and a half gigawatts by 2025 uh with the five gigawatt target by 2030 so we do expect from the the electrolytic hydrogen side that actually there'll be you know a a steady increase in projects in, in the uk context and then we have to start looking around europe and and what's being done there so some are looking at um, the Nordic region, you know, benefiting from the fact that they have you know a, a very kind of uh, decarbonized grid, 
and you know can, can they have electrolytic hydrogen production from from the grid which has the benefit of being low carbon and having um you know a, a very high load factor because they can use grids and they're not having to be constrained by you know kind of load following a renewables generator so that's where we're seeing the opportunities at the moment and you know hopefully you know as as more countries develop their own business model and support regimes will be able to start supporting projects across europe as well could you give a brief overview of the current state of hydrogen financings in europe yes so at the moment we're still seeing you know kind of very few deals coming through in the european space and that's driven pr primarily from the fact that the business models are still being developed across a variety of markets um, there are very significant plans. Um, the EU have kind of outlined some very kind of ambitious targets for, for hydrogen. But in terms of the actual details to how you bring those forward, they're not really there yet. Uh, we would say that the UK is probably you know, furthest along in developing its business models. And we've seen them launch the kind of the pre-qualification for the first round of electrolytic hydrogen projects in the UK. And they'll be kind of looking for submissions for that in the next month or so. Germany, I think, are also consulting on their H2 Global initiative, uh, which would be the import of hydrogen into Germany to meet its uh, um, hydrogen challenges. So in terms of domestic production, I think it's still very much at the uh, analysis and, and, and um, investment decision mark rather than at the financing stage. From your point of view, what are the hurdles to bankability in this sector? So the main challenge at the moment is the the, the, the the price gap between green and blue hydrogen compared to traditional sources. What we're seeing is that there is still you know a significant premium, and we're not seeing off-takers being incentivized to enter long-term contracts with green or blue hydrogen projects at this moment in time because of that missing money. There are a couple of ways that we can look to solve that. One is, you know, as the UK are doing, is developing um, subsidy models that will incentivize production um, and make off-takers you know, kind of ambivalent to the, uh, the, the additional cost of production because that will be met through a subsidy. The, the alternative is to start making mandates for use of low carbon hydrogen, but we need to balance that with a kind of an affordability point as well. So, again, if you put these uh, demand sides mandates in place, the problem will be um, making, say, UK or European uh, production or manufacturing uncompetitive if they have to pay more for hydrogen than they would traditionally use as prices rocket uh, particularly for uh, the fossil fuels that power gray and blue hydrogen some critics would say that given the energy crisis renewables used to make green hydrogen should be directed towards you know heating homes etc so i think there's there's a few things to look at so in terms of the um directing renewables towards the electricity grid i think that is a challenge that people do recognize um the eu uh, taxonomy for for low carbon hydrogen requires additionality of 
um, mm-hmm. of renewable power. And I think that's there to kind of, you know, re- you know almost recognizing that the grid still needs to have decarbonized electrons. We haven't met the challenge of, you know, fully decarbonizing the grid. We still have some way to go. Um, but, you know, renewables or wind and solar on its own are not going to be enough to get us there fully. And we have to look at other paths. So hydrogen is, is seen as one of those paths that help, you know, potentially with, you know, replacing natural gas in the power system, and natural gas in the heating system, as well as transport and other industrial uh, and hard to decarbonize sectors. The, the, the kind of the, the, the affordability piece versus, you know, between blue and green, I think that's a really interesting point because um, it's something that this energy crisis has really uh, highlighted. The fact that, you know, we cannot just assume that gas prices will continue to, you know, follow a, a certain trend and that we will get these crises and we will get these spikes and as the major kind of cost you know input cost for blue hydrogen this is something that we need to think about in terms of what how the business models react to uh to to, to high and spiking gas prices and making sure that the business models can um absorb those increases it also kind of might give you, um, you know, some comfort around you know, green hydrogen projects in the future. So when we're looking at offtake contracts, yes, you know, again, for say ammonia projects, the price that we're seeing for green ammonia is, you know, on a long-term basis, will be you know substantially above the market rate. But where that market rate has gone. In, in the last year or so has probably spiked above the the levels that a green ammonia producer can uh, can absorb and and therefore actually that might give you a bit of a, a, a cap or a bit of a hedge for your ammonia offtake if you source some of your ammonia from a green producer then that's going to start you know kind of maybe hedging your exposure to natural gas prices to a certain extent and touching briefly on the project financing uh, structures that could be used for scalable hydrogen projects what in your view is 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 a, a, a structure that is extant and works or we need to develop something uh you know new for for, for these um, perhaps uh, mega scale hydrogen projects but there's nothing. I think there's nothing new under the sun. Um, you know, I think project finance as a as a tool has been used in a variety of sectors and and projects. And I think hydrogen should be no different. And I think we will be able to find the right structures for um, for these transactions. We're very used to following a, a kind of a subsidy model. You know, so the development of you know wind and solar. You know, has been brought forward under project finance structures using those kind of of government-backed subsidy models and i think that's what we will see in the very first instances for you know the nascent hydrogen market that will need that level of support in order to uh, start the rollout get the hydrogen economy going um, and and hopefully bring down the cost of production of hydrogen over the long term as we move away from subsidized models 
you know, we're seeing it in renewables at the moment, but you know, the likes of you know natural resources transactions where, where actually hydrogen probably you know eventually we expect will will become more like your traditional kind of natural resource and, and, and energy projects in future they will then become okay who can produce this at the lowest cost and who's got the most kind of favorable uh location um production costs those things will become you know the norm and we'll, might start to see more natural resource or energy project finance structures as opposed to the, the renewable project structures. Another area I think we would need to look at as well is around the infrastructure for, for, for hydrogen. And those models might need to follow a more regulated uh, framework, you know, akin to gas networks um, or you know, some sort of regulated asset-based uh, structure that we're seeing, you know, the UK are are looking at RAB-based models for CCS, and you know that might be something that they have to consider when they're looking at how do you roll out the infrastructure for for hydrogen. Do you need to have a bespoke kind of project financing structure for these projects, or do you mandate you know someone like a national grid to be responsible for the uh, transport and distribution of hydrogen across the UK in, in the same way it does for natural gas? Is there a business case for retrofitting existing infrastructure to be able to uh, transport hydrogen long and short distances? So, you know, the research that we've seen is that, yes, you know, there is a business case for doing it and that a lot of the, the existing infrastructure can be, you know, retrofitted in order to handle it uh, economically and 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 uh, most importantly safely i suppose there is a bit of a question that i have around you know at what point do you can you run the system in parallel with the natural gas network and and how do you make that switch from you know natural gas to hydrogen you know obviously there's you know analysis at the moment about you know the case for blending i think you know it, it's probably not the most economic um business model for for blending into the to the gas grid given i think the kind of the relatively lower energy intensity of hydrogen compared to um to natural gas we will then need to think about how do you how do you convert people's appliances and and how do you manage the the, the conversion so you know similar to when we converted from town gas to North Sea Gas in the UK, there was a big program of replacing people's boilers and uh, and cookers. And um, I think at the moment, Bayes are actually running a competition uh, to to trial a village and 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 look at how actually and in, in practically and in, in reality you can do this. One problem is that I think that that previous conversion regime was done under a, a kind of a central uh utility model whereas now we're in a you know, deregulated environment where you now have more uh more networks you have more you know suppliers and distributors how do you kind of manage that more fragmented approach to converting properties and how do you encourage the public to to move from natural gas to to, to hydrogen unfortunately i have to say that's all we have time for Andrew, thank you once again for taking the time to talk to me today. 
It's a pleasure. Thank you. Before I go, I would like to remind our listeners of Proximo's Digital Infrastructure Finance Survey, which is now live. If you're a sponsor, commercial and non-commercial lender, lawyer, advisor or supplier, we'd like to hear from you. The link to the survey should be on the main page of the Proximo website. That's proximoinfra.com. Thank you all for listening and be sure to join us again in two weeks time for more interviews with key market players within the project finance, energy and infrastructure industry.